0: You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. All right, go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. We're going through the series, We Are the Church, just as a reminder for longtime time Galenites, who we are as a church, and... Um, as an introduction for folks that are always new every year uh, about who we are, that our uh, vision boils down to kind of four words as a, a vision, and culture of who we are. We've looked at three of those, come, share, uh, or two of those so far, and we're looking at the third today, uh, but it's come, share, grow, and go. Uh, come being the nature that we are invitational. We want to be a people that are uh, inviting people not just into fellowship in this church, but into fellowship in Jesus. Um, that's ultimately our, our great goal. Uh, share is the nature that we are generous, and we want to be we looked at what it means to be generous with our time, talents, and treasures. Last week, maybe took a different look at some of those things. Uh, and today, we want to take a look at the, uh, the desire or expectation that we have as a fellowship that we grow and are maturing um, Shell just took most of our kids in for well child check visits, which are always kind of a funny thing to me, right? It's you're going to the doctor not when you're sick. Um, and, uh, you know, it just seems to me like it's just a Ponzi scheme for insurance scams. But, you know, I mean, it's whatever it is. Uh, but no, I mean, the, the whole purpose of them, yeah, some of you are like, yes, this is true, right? Uh, you know, the whole purpose of them, right, is to be able to check. Growth, right? You want to be able to measure and catch. You know, maybe everything looks like it's okay, but all of a sudden you realize that oh, my, you know, my child, their height hasn't increased, or their weight hasn't increased, or uh, you know, fine motor skill development, or all of those things. They're trying to track that stuff to see that there is regular growth, that there is something that is going on, that is in a forward motion. Um, that should be a beneficial thing, and it 's the premise that healthy people grow healthy people mature and of course we all know people that uh, you know there 's even kind of a uh, a, a joke in uh, in you know the the world of of aging people they said that uh, aging is a uh, is a non choice but growing up is optional um, And uh, though it sounds really funny, I think there's a point to say like, it's one thing to age with grace. uh, And uh, we all know people that like, the older they got, the sweeter they got, and the more tender that they got. And we also know people that as they aged, it was like they got weaned on a dill pickle. You know what I mean? Just like life just made them more sour, more bitter, uh, more of a Karen, uh, in that kind of a sense, right? And only the young people will catch that. Will catch that uh, that reference, uh, right? Like uh, maturing should be something that is gracious and grace filled. And as we mature, we should grow into people that are leading by example. Uh, you know, there is a difference between being an elder and being an older. Right? Just somebody that by nature lived long enough to be old doesn't necessarily mean that they're somebody that has wisdom and insight and we ought to emulate their personhood and personality. And that's true across cultures and uh, true across um, the lifespan of humanity that there have been people that grew older but did not necessarily exhibit maturity in a way that we wanted to exhibit. And we want to avoid that. As a church, it is uh, innate that we, as Christians, uh, as we live our life, uh, we do learn things, but we do know that the Christian life is not based upon. Uh, how much information that we know, it is based upon what we have done with said information, right? When Jesus gave the Great Commission, He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then, He said something that I think throughout the ages, a lot of churches, specifically evangelical churches, have missed. We thought we heard Jesus say, and teach them all things I've commanded. But that's not what Jesus said. What did He say? Teach them to obey all things I've commanded. The Christian life is not just a gigantic game game of trivial pursuit. That the goal of the Christian life is to get to the pearly gates with the most information. Right? Saint Peter's going to ask you some random Bible trivia thing, like who was David's third wife, and if you don't answer the question right, you go to hell. Right? That's not the way. That's not the Christian life. But there's a lot of people that live their Christian life as though that's what it is. That it is about learning more information and just amassing more information. Whereas the Christian life, as it is portrayed through Jesus and is commanded by uh, the Scriptures for us, is that as we learn the truth of the Gospel, it changes our behavior. It changes our attitude. It changes the trajectory of our life. Remember we've said that um, faith is a coin with two sides, and you never have this coin without both of those sides. It is belief and repentance. That when the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us, we have an option. We can respond in faith, which is to believe that information is true, and as we believe information, it causes us to change what we do, which is repentance. Repentance isn't just feeling bad about something. Uh, or feeling convicted about something. Uh, Repentance is about changing direction, changing behavior, changing attitude, changing affections. And so as we think about what it means for us to be a people that are growing, as individuals and as a church, we want to look at what are the marks of maturity. And that's what we're going to take a look at today in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and he says this And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors, or shepherds and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love." We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the Head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is the Word of the Lord. Marks of Maturity What are the things that we are to look for in a believer in our own life and in our church as a whole to say those are things, indicators, benchmarks that are pointing us in the direction that maturity or maturing is happening. Now oftentimes when we talk about uh, how do we measure maturity or how do we measure growth, Again, we look at those well-child checks and there's certain benchmarks that they're wanting them to be able to reach and that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, in a lot of ways, the education system has kind of missed some of that because those things are applied realities. But in a lot of the education world, as many teachers are very frustrated with, we educate for standardized tests, which is just a knowing of information, not a doing of the information, right? I don't want you just to know... Uh, who the presidents of the United States were and what these specific dates were and, and the, the order of structure of a sentence, I want to be, to be able to know how do you function in the government? Can you write a sentence in a way that is intelligible for somebody to be able to have and understand, right? We want to be able to not just know information, but be able to prove that we can do the information, it is the doing that actually proves the knowing, not just a regurgitation of information. Uh, we're reminded of this as uh, Preston this year is entering into calculus. And Shell and I were looking at the, the prospect of homeschooling in that. Both of us went, it's been a couple years since we took calculus. And although I did well in it, I have not used it since then so i don't I can't recurgitate none of it right like it's not it's not in there for me to be able to do so we handed him off to professionals who can better do that than we can do and that my friends is one of the marks of maturity right <laughs> to know what you don't or you know to know that you don't know something right uh, the uh The truth of how this plays out in our lives uh, as Paul writes out for this is he says there are some professionals in the Christian life. And this is actually by God's design. Again, we live in a culture and a context that is so individual. We think that everything about our life is us-centered. Even things like our marriage or our us as parents, we still think it's all just me. I'm, it's me. I am I'm in the midst of it. But when realizing that we are not in this life alone and that God by design has given us people that are gifted and talented to be able to help us learn what we don't No, and be able to process that and grow in that. He begins this passage by saying this, basically laying out, this is how God has planted His church. He gave or appointed some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. These offices that he lays out there um, are specific to individuals that we can point to in Scripture. We can look at the disciples of Jesus who were hand-selected by Him, that walked with Him physically, heard Jesus teach, literally got the dust of Jesus' sandals on them, and the early church uh, called them apostles, uh, the, the called ones that Jesus Himself called these are the ones that were the early planters. As Jesus departed this earth, he commissioned them to go into the world. The Great Commission was first spoken to these apostles as they went and founded the church in Jerusalem and went and, uh, and uh, were scattered across the world. It's an interesting thing when you study and read about the lives of the 11 apostles, Judas being uh, one of those that gets excluded from that. Uh, for obvious reasons, and find out how it is that they died and where they died. They were scattered across the world at that time. It was only John, who probably was the youngest of the apostles, who was the only one that did not die a martyr's death, but died in old age, and they were scattered all over the place doing exactly what God told them to go do. To go stand as witnesses of we have seen the risen Savior. The one that we have longed for. And they began to preach and teach by their own life and by their own example. As we think about the the reality of Christianity, we live in a day that questions everything about it. It likes uh, some of the... uh, I guess if you will, the trappings of religion, the system of it, the sense that there is something attractive in the structure of religion. But the idea that Jesus is the only way for somebody to be reconciled to God and go to heaven, for somebody to to live forever, seems to be such a preposterous thing. And so aside from being able to look at Jesus, one of the things we can do is we can literally look at the Apostles and we can look at their lives and say, there is no way that these guys were lying. They were separated from each other. They professed the same story with fear of their life until the moments of their death, when literally people were telling them, if you'll recant your story, you'll live. And they'll say, how can I recant what is true? How can I give up what, is, what I've seen with my own eyes? And so these apostles gave their lives as a testimony to us. So that we could look back and have this sense of realization that what they were teaching, who Jesus was and what Jesus commanded, was worth believing and emulating. This plays into the prophets both in Old Testament alluding forward and then even in the New Testament there were some in the early church that were referred to as prophets. Now, when we think of prophets, some of you might be thinking of popular TV shows that talk about prophecies as though it is a future-telling event. The Bible most often when it talks about prophets or prophecy is not talking about some uh, uh, future event that is unknown. It is not foretelling the future, but forthtelling the Word of God. Those that are saying, thus says the Lord, and here's the Word of God. If we want to know how do we have that, we have that by Scripture. That there was a, a preaching of the Word that came down to us that said, this is the Word of God, and it had profound effects. There were some that were evangelists, those that their primary job was to walk around in a gifted way, and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to people that were dead and dying in their sins, to tell them that there was a way out of it and to do it with such skill and finesse and beauty and grace that people believed the Gospel and were saved. Now once people have believed the Gospel, they need to be, they're not left on their own, God gave them pastors, shepherds, and teachers to come and equip them to live with them, to walk with them in groups. And all of this was given as a specific gift for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. Now oftentimes, again, a misconception that we have is that uh, the job of Christianity is for professional Christians. That you got to have some title, some office, to be the person that does Christianity. Everybody else just participates in it. But to do Christianity, you have to have a father or a reverend or a pastor or a deacon title in front of your name to do the Christian things. Everything else is just participation. And that's not what he says. He says, these offices were given to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. To build up this body Of Christ. So, what are the marks of maturity as we look to those that have helped us in this journey, as we've walked with people that led us to faith in Jesus, as we walk in Bible studies, as we attend church and sit under preaching or sit in sermons and those kind of things? All of those things are good, but if we're not careful, we fall into that trap of just learning information rather than being transformed by that information. So what exactly are the marks of maturity that we're looking for? Well, the first that He gives us is unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. Uh, It says in verse 13, "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith." What is this unity of the faith? There's a lot of talk in the world about unity. Everybody loves the idea of unity. Unity feels like peace. It feels like the lack of conflict. Unity is, uh, you know, if you're... Uh, all the teachers just finished crazy meetings trying to figure out crazy schedules. And the goal of all of them was to figure out how to have a united schedule. right? How to have things work out the way that they needed to do. But the reality of unity uh, as it plays out in scripture, or scripture is that unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean that everybody looks the same, acts the same, comes from the same background, uh, loves all the same things and all that kind of stuff. It's not unity for the sake of unity. It's unity in the faith. That this faith in Jesus Christ, remember as we've pointed out time and time again that faith is the action that is outside of you. It is you putting your trust in something that you have no control over. You can't make it be any better. You can't make it be any stronger. Every one of you exhibited faith this morning the moment that you sat down in these chairs. And I'm here to tell you, for some of those chairs, that required a lot of faith. Because some of these chairs are on their way out. Right? We try to identify those things. We try to get them out of there for your own safety. But I'm just here to tell you, faith is something that you exhibited but you had no control over whether or not it could do for you what you thought it could do. This is what the unity of the faith is. It's not uni- or unity in an ideology. It's not unity in a club. It's not unity in a label. It's, he's saying here that this mark of maturity is that we have come together from all kind of different ethnic backgrounds, uh, as both men and women, young and old, from the lower 48, from overseas, from local places, and have come to this one place and found unity, not in the sense that we all get along or anything else, but in the sense that we all have come equally before a God who we did not deserve to come before. That we all come equally around the re- the reality that we've sinned against a holy God, and apart from Jesus Christ, we have no hope. This is the unity of the faith. It doesn't come with a label. It doesn't come with a denomination. It doesn't come with any of these other trappings of religion. It comes from this clear point that we desperately needed Jesus. And there is a maturity in this because we all know, I think more so now probably than ever in my, the rest of my life, that we live in a disunified context and culture. Right? We can't even stand to listen to the other side. We can't hear what they say because they're crazy, they're fools, they're, they're liberals, they're conservatives, they're whatever they are, they're the other and there's no way that we can be united around it especially when I go preach at churches in the South, I always get a strange look when I tell people you're going to be really surprised when there's Democrats in heaven. (laughs) And it may come as a surprise to some Democrats that there's going to be some Republicans in heaven. Just so you know, Jesus isn't either of those. He'll be king of the universe when those are just a footnote in human history. And yet we've built our identity around those kind of things and united with people around those things rather than being united in the faith. The mark of maturity that He gives here, that He begins this with, is unity of the faith. That is a very challenging thing. He also says, it's not just unity of the faith, but he he goes on to say, and knowledge of the Son of God. We as human beings are built for faith. We always look for something to put our faith in. We put our faith in ourselves. We put our faith in our culture. We put our faith in our society. We put our faith in all kinds of things. But he wants to clarify that this unity of the faith is not finding something else other than Jesus Knowledge of the Son of God. Who is this Jesus? Why did he come? How did he live? What did he teach? What was he about? A mark of maturity is somebody who is desperately, their entire Christian life, wanting to know Jesus better, to grow to know his character more. I just finished reading a book that I really enjoyed. If you'd be interested, I have. Tons of extra copies of it. And it was uh, called Gentle and Lowly. There's one time in the Scriptures when Jesus gives us a a picture of the character of His own heart. He says, come and follow Me because I am gentle and lowly of heart. And the insights into the character and nature, the way in which Jesus is tender towards the brokenhearted, and then the way that He is hard and harsh towards people that aren't going to listen. It, it shakes the way that I even want to try to box Jesus in just looking at who He is in His Scriptures. It's good for us to grow in our knowledge of the Son of God. As we are growing in the unity of the faith, making sure that that faith does not slip off target into other things other than Jesus. And maturity is growing in that. The third thing that is a mark of maturity that He gives for us is that we are no longer childish in belief. No longer childish in belief. Now the, the concept of childishness and childlikeness is a juxtaposition in Scripture. Jesus teaches us that in the Kingdom of God, we are to be childlike in faith. But in the broader sense, in our maturing in our Christian life, he says that we are not to be childish. So what is the difference between those two? Well, children, as you well know, if they trust you, will have lots of faith in you. Sometimes even to the extent that it's kind of dangerous, right? Do you guys have the, the kid that just always believes, you know, you ever seen the little kid that always believes you're going to catch them even if you're not looking at them kind of thing? Like they're launching themselves off over here and just like, whoa! You know, like, I wasn't even looking. But they didn't care. They believe, they have faith that you're going to catch them, right? That's the kind of childlike faith That Jesus describes for us, that is to be the character of us, that we say, it it almost feels like, and this is the part that puts people on edge, it feels blind. Right? I'm just trusting You, Jesus. Woo! And here we go. You said it. I believe it. I'm after it. I'm taking it all in. I'm living this life trusting You that You said it's going to be okay. And so it's going to be okay and I'm going to trust You in it. But the distinction of this is not that we are childlike, but in maturing that we remain being childish is not good. Uh, He says in verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Paul has some harsh words to say in a number of other uh, texts when he talks about this. He's, he tells uh, the church in, um, uh, in Thessalonica that they, uh, uh, they're like children that still need milk when they should have grown up by now and be able to eat solid food. He's saying you're just not believing the basic things about Christianity, the basic things about grace, the basic things about baptism, the the basic things about repentance and faith. These kind of fundamental things, I have to keep teaching you these fundamental things because the bigger implications, the way that that stuff plays out, you're not ready for because you're not believing these basic things. Here as he talks to this church in in Ephesus, he's wanting to encourage them because of a great danger that exists in their world, that exists in our world as well, in the sense that there is false teaching, false belief, uh, false information that is coming their way and is tossing their spiritual soul from side to side. Like a boat that is caught in the waves without an anchor and without sails. We are no longer to be childish in our belief, not being those uh, that are carried away by every wind of doctrine. It seems flashy. It seems cool. It seems like the present world motive or the present uh, attitude of this world. And so what this mark is, is it is a mark of growing discernment. Discernment is one of those Bible words um, that I think is important for us to be able to know. And there is uh, discernment is described as a spiritual gift, but it is a mark of Christianity not just for an elite few Christians. It is the, the spiritual overtone in our heart where as we grow in our Christian life, growing in the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ, as we're walking with the Spirit, when something false comes our way, in our spirit, a red flag gets kicked up. That maybe you're listening to something on a podcast, or maybe you're even listening to something that I say, or you're reading, you know, picking up a Christian book and you're reading it, and you're as you're reading these things and somebody says, oh yeah, this is Christian, and they tell you this stuff, there's something in your soul that goes, I'm not sure about that. And the more you grow in your Christian life, the more that that, I'm not sure about that, turns into, nope, that ain't right. Not only is that not right, that's anti-God. That is contrary to the truth of the Gospel. That is contrary to holiness. That is contrary to the design and will of God. And so a mark of maturity is a mark that we are no longer living a childish kind of life that's just listening to whatever is flashy and being attracted to everything that's there. It's one of the things that we've, we've found interesting in parenting um, that uh, advertising... Doesn't seem like it works very well on us as parents, but by golly, it works on kids, right? My kids live in the in, live in the time frame where advertisements, commercials, aren't a thing, right? Because we got Amazon or Netflix or whatever, and there's no there's no advertisements that come on them. But when they go to places and we stay and you know visit grandparents or whatever, they still have the TV that has the advertisements. And so when they were young and they would see the toy advertisement, the, as soon as the commercial went off, what was the first thing that they wanted? Whatever that thing was, right? They're tossed about it. seems great. That seems like that will make my life wonderful. And as you grow up and you realize, nope, that, that thing is eventually just going to get thrown away. It's not going to be wonderful. It's not going to be amazing. It's not going to be awesome. We grow in discernment. Discernment is, hinges upon our ability to actually know more information. So there is an element of knowing more information, but it's seeing how that applies into other ways. You see, the way that he described it there is that we're not carried about by every wind of doctrine. This seems new. This seems right. Uh, just so you know, if anybody ever says comes to you and says, "I've discovered something new in Scripture," it's probably not new, and it's ninety-nine point nine percent probably going to be heresy. Just, just so you know. Uh, every n- new wind of wind of doctrine, and by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. The deceit means the intent is to lie, to not tell the truth. And it's so subtle. It's so subtle. One of the greatest skills of Satan. Probably the greatest skill of Satan. We, we give Satan a lot of... Uh, credit that's not his uh, like we give him kind of you know uh, things that maybe feel like or sound like he has godlike power he doesn't have those things he can't create anything he can't you know he can't manifest stuff uh, Satan's greatest power is his ability to lie without it sounding like a lie this is what Satan did with Adam and Eve this is what Satan did with Uh, with Job it's what Satan did with Jesus and it's what Satan does today that he takes that which is good and just alters it just enough just slightly off and even sometimes uses the words that we use in our present day and we go yeah I like that word I believe that thing yes that's valuable yes that's true and yet it doesn't line up with what God says A 99% truth is a 100% lie. If you've ever lived with somebody that was manipulative, you probably know this truth very well. That they'll say just enough to get you on the hook, and then enough that keeps you out of a healthy life and a healthy relationship. The trickery of men's scheming. And this ultimately lays into this last mark of maturity. The ability to speak truth in love. The ability to speak truth in love. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. The mark of maturity for a believer is that we have the ability not just simply to know truth, but be able to speak truth and not just the ability to speak truth, but be able to speak it with genuine God kind of love. I think this is one of the things that, our, that the church in America just desperately needs today. we got lots of people that are speaking truth. we got a lot of people that know truth. We have a lot of people that think that they're speaking love. But their love is devoid of truth. The mark of maturity as he gives it here and one of the marks that we say we desire to see grow in us as a church as we grow is not just that we learn information but that we learn how to tell this truth with such affectionate love that the body of Christ grows. And the body of Christ grows two ways. It grows in maturity within and it grows in adoption from without. It draws people in and matures them in the faith. Oftentimes, truth gets used more as a baseball bat than a bandage. And the Gospel of Jesus Christ was meant to be spoken to a dying world that desperately needed to know it, not as something that was there to kill people with and drive them away from the truth. It's one of the things that I, uh, I say about it that really drives me nuts, that we can communicate the Gospel in such a way that it actually inoculates people from the Gospel. They can't hear it because of the attitude by which we live. As I grow older, I'm not old yet, but as I grow older, I've noticed something about me, and I hope that it continues. I hope I can curtail it some, but I hope, I, I hope it continues this direction rather than the other direction. I have determined that the older I get, the more weepy I get. It, it takes way less to pull a tear out of my eye now than it did ten years ago. And I, I think that's good. And this, I don't want to be one of those preachers who's always, you know, I read the passage of scripture and I'm just sobbing over that. I don't want to be that guy, right? But, but I also don't want to be the guy that just gets harder as life goes on. Because here's one of the things I have found about preaching. I've I've now been, I've now been preaching uh, for 22 years, and as I look back, I still have some of my old sermons. And I'll look back over and I'll go, Just God forgive me. Right? You know, that's, that's how most of those end up playing out. But as I look at the illustrations and I look at the things that I used in those, I had to look for illustrations outside of my life because I didn't have experience. right? As an, as an 18-year-old starting to preach, I didn't have experience. I thought I did. right? That's, that's what it means to be an 18-year-old. You think you know everything. Right? But then life begins to happen. And the reality of life is that life either makes you bitter or better. There's no stagnation in the midst of it. And that is the mark of maturity. That as we live and as we grow and as we consume more knowledge, because I do hope that you as a Christian are a lifelong learner. That you always continue to say, God, I want to know You more. I want to know Your Scripture more. I want, to, I want to be involved in Bible study. I want to grow in memorizing it. I want to spend time in Your Word. I want to, I want to feel how these passages of Scripture... I, you know, I could, uh, you know, have a devotional in the morning and I have this Scripture on my mind and then something happens at work and I see the direct correlation and I see the truth of Your Scripture and I see how it plays out. And I want to have those continually as we grow on. But when life throws hard things at us, which it does more and more the older you get, the question is, is it going to make you bitter? Or more grace-filled? More tender and compassionate towards your neighbor? More apt to be able to apply the truth of your life into the current situation, to discern what the Spirit is leading as you're walking with Him on that now everything that I've talked about ultimately has been us, right? It's been I, that I have, you know, I have unity in the faith with other peoples, but it's me collecting into that, right? That I have knowledge of the Son of God, that I'm no longer being tossed about as a child, that I have discernment, and that I have the ability to speak the truth in love. But that's uh, you being saved was not God's ultimate goal. Us being saved for His glory. That's what He was after. All the yous of Scripture were actually pretty much all y'alls. They were all plural. Maturing individuals make a mature church. It says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the Head, even Christ, from whom the whole body Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If we think the Christian life is about what I do for Jesus, then this church will look like a crime scene. Body parts strewn everywhere. Not accomplishing anything. But if we are maturing in the faith, then it causes us to realize that we need each other. There are things that I am learning from the younger generation that my generation didn't get. There's things that I'm learning from the older generation that I needed to grow up in. There's things that I'm, I'm, as I'm walking with other believers and I'm seeing how the Gospel plays out in their lives and I'm seeing them believe these same truths, but apply them to their story, which is very different than mine, I'm growing up. I'm a very different pastor 12 years in than I was when I got here at 29. And our desire for this church is that we would be a church that grows to be a church that is maturing. That however long God has you here, if you're a student here and you're starting as a freshman and you're going to be here four years, and that's amazing, I don't want you to look the same in your Christian life four years from now than you do today. If you're a teacher and you're saying, hey, I'm going to be here for one year, two years, five years, ten years, I don't want you to look the same at the end of that process spiritually as you did today. But unfortunately for a lot of Christians, they've isolated themselves away from the us part of maturing. And so when you ask them, How do I be a mature Christian? they'd say, I don't know, go talk to a pastor. And you say, Wait, you, you've been a Christian, you know, like you, you've been in church, you've been a Christian your whole life 30, 40, 50 years. What other, what, other, what other thing in our society can play out like that, right? I mean, if you're a teacher and you, and you go to somebody like a Debbie Kuntz who had, how long did she have her teaching degree? 50-something years, right? Crazy amount of time. You don't go to her and say like, is there anything that you can teach me about how to be a teacher? And her to go like, I don't know about teaching. What? Yes you do. Of course you do. You've done it all these. No, nah, I, don't, I don't know I don't know nothing about teaching. You need to go find some school thing. They'll tell they'll tell you how to do teaching. Right. You can't go to a Jake the Russian and be like, "Hey, do you know anything about building log cabins?" and him like, "Yeah, I don't know about no about log cabins." What's a log? Right. Of course he he knows it. And we talk to believers who have been professing believers for 30, 40, 50 years, and you say, tell me, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And they say, I don't know. I don't know. Friends, that's not the mark of maturity. We can look as we walk at our own Christian life and say, I do know that there are things that I don't yet know. Right? I do know that there are things that I am not proficient at. There are things that I wish I had grown up in. But there are some things that God has taught me as I've walked with Him. And so as the Gospel of Jesus Christ plays out into us, church, let it show up in growth that looks like maturity. Our desire is to be a church that is mature and sound in the faith. There's a number of things that are going to be kicking off here soon. Women's Bible studies, probably here towards the end of September, we're going to start Sunday, uh, just church Bible study that I'll be leading, probably on Sunday nights. Um, There's youth things that are going on. There's all of these opportunities. But listen, you can attend all of them and learn all the information. But if you don't set in your heart to say, what do I do with this information? You'll be the world's best Bible trivia champion. But look nothing like Jesus. The ultimate goal of every Christian heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, God, that You would help us. We want to be a church that is maturing and growing. That's hard. Change is hard. It's hard to grow up. And yet, Lord, it is incredibly good. And so, Lord, would You help us as we look at this truth to look to um, the people that You've given us in our lives. Some that have titles like pastor. But some that just have example because of their life. And help us to grow in our knowledge of You, in our unity in You, and in our love for you and one another. We ask all this in the sweet and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com